0: I invite you to take the Word of God with me and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. And we'll be looking at verses 6 and 7 today, uh, possibly touching on verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning there in verse number 6. And we'll read verses 6 and 7. And again, if time allows, we will maybe touch on verse 8 Beginning there in verse number six, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. We notice together those expressions used specifically there in verse six. And again, when he bringeth in the, The first begotten into the world. He saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. We are definitely seeing in these two verses how the Son, Jesus Christ, has been exalted to a place of prominence. As we'll learn this morning, it's more than just a place of prominence, but it's a place of preeminence. Uh, There are many things in the world we might say are prominent, but there are very few things that are preeminent. And of course, Jesus Christ is preeminent, and that is what is in mind here. As we think about the exaltation of Christ, we understand that his exaltation of Christ was by the Father. As we've learned studying these passages dealing with the dignity of Christ... We continue to see that the Father was not content in just giving one single message regarding his Son, but he continues to speak about his Sonship, and he continues to speak in the various ways in which his Sonship is being declared. How Jesus Christ is, in fact, worthy of all worship and all praise. The Bible uh, repeatedly gives us principles and concepts that remind us that Jesus Christ uh, is indeed the perfect fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, and we see many of them being fulfilled in his exaltation. Also, the way scripture often does it, is it doesn't just show us his exaltation in one way, but it shows us in a number of ways how Jesus Christ is exalted to this place of preeminence. And interestingly enough, there is a pointing back to uh, the angels. Now you'll recall that back in verse number four and verse number five, we were introduced to the reality of these angels. And we see in verse number four, how Christ was made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So we, we understand the superiority of Christ over the angels. Uh, in no way, shape, or form are the angels uh, above Jesus Christ in position or also in name. But we also saw in verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? So we learned how that God the Father has not pointed to the angels and said, You are my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now that word begotten is now also mentioned in verse 6 with regard to he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. So we have these parallel thoughts running through with the angels and how the angels are in in effect, they are speaking to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We see that because God says, let the angels of God worship him. It is not Jesus Christ worshiping the angels. It is not you and I worshiping the angels, but rather all the angels of God are to worship him. So the reason for this worship was because the Son, Jesus Christ, was first begotten of the Father. Notice the connection. The reason they are told to worship is because Jesus is the first begotten into the world. Now to fully understand this concept of first begotten or what we are talking about here, notice the, the, the construction of this verse. Now I realize everybody today, there may be various versions and that's okay, but if your copy or if your translation, your version says, the first two words of verse six say, and again, And this this idea, this concept begins to understand, uh, begins to help us understand what exactly is the scriptures pointing us to. What is the again about? Uh, This is one of those connecting words that we often think, well, the word again can't have anything of real value or substance to it. This deeply matters about what the again is. This word rendered again uh, may be understood as a way of an additional proof as to what's already been said. So again, here's more proof as to how God's Son is much better than the angels. However, it also can have a reference to Christ being brought again into the world by His resurrection. So you see, we have these two parallel type thoughts. Is the Word of God just telling us, again, here's another proof, here's another illustration of what can be proved, what we've already talked about in verse number 5? Or does it even go to the point of saying, and again, Christ being brought into the world by his resurrection? To help us understand this and the direction the Scripture says, we need to turn to Psalm 97, because Psalm 97 gives us a picture and also a quote of this idea of the exaltation of Christ. Now, as you're turning to Psalm 97, Psalm 97 gives us a description of the reign of Christ. Now, as we learned last week, during Christ's humiliation, he was made a little while lower, for a little while lower than the angels. And being made lower than the angels is a reference to being exposed to suffering and death. However, we know that the resurrection, Jesus Christ was brought into the world. All power in heaven and earth was committed to him. And because of that resurrection and because of his reigning as the son of God, the angels of God are now commanded to worship him. Psalm 97 appears to show us that the reference of the again points to the resurrection aspect of Jesus Christ, not as an additional proof as to what's been said, but we'll read this and look together. Look at Psalm 97. The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness." psalm 97 is a beautiful psalm it shows us the exaltation of the lord and it shows us how he has been exalted and psalm 97 7 says worship him all ye gods not just all the gods that we think of but all of the angels everybody is commanded to worship him because he has been placed into this exalted position now again as we go back to hebrews We see, if this is dealing with the resurrection, notice the reason for the worship is given to us. When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. Jesus here in Hebrews is being termed as the firstborn. The first begotten. Now, he is distinct but yet he is one with the Father. The firstborn throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and I hope that you know this from your own study, the firstborn had various privileges. There were privileges that were given, and one of the main privileges that the first begotten often would receive would be authority over their brethren. And because of that authority, that authority could be exerted over them. Now, of course, we understand throughout Scripture that there were privileges that were forfeited by certain individuals. They gave up their birthrights. They gave up the rights of the firstborn or the first begotten. The first time we truly see it is in the offering of Cain and Abel. And so the Lord says to Cain, after telling Cain that he approved of his brother's sacrifice, we know the story in Genesis 4-7, he says this, unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. God's accepting Abel's offering was not to interfere with Cain's superiority as the firstborn. When you look at Jacob, and we see that Jacob describes Reuben, his firstborn, as the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. In Genesis 49.3. But we realize that privilege was forfeited and it was transferred to Judah, who became the chief ruler, 1 Chronicles 5. Another privilege of the firstborn we see in the Old Testament was that what's referred to as the double portion. We also see in Scripture that Reuben forfeited his right to that double portion. And if you know your Bible, that privilege was transferred to Joseph. Joseph who was the father of the two of the twelve tribes. Now, we understand that these privileges were ones that were given, and they were given and contained to the firstborn. There was also the privilege of the priesthood. Reuben forfeited that priesthood, and it was bestowed on the tribe of Levi, or the Levites, which are the priesthood. Now, you say, what does all that have to do with this principle of the first begotten? Notice that he is declared, this de- Jesus is declared as the first begotten into the world who he brought in. God bringeth in the first begotten into the world. Christ is the very firstborn in all things. He has the preeminence. To him, as we read in Philippians and our call to worship, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is above all things in heaven and he is above all things on earth. Think about today what it means that every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. Someday there's coming a day when even unprofessing, unbelieving tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will not be an optional thing. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ has not given up nor forfeited any of the privileges of the firstborn. If we were to say that Jesus is giving up any of these privileges, he's forfeiting some of these things, we would be people left without any hope. He has not given up any of his privileges. Some have made the awful mistake of saying when Jesus Christ went to the cross that he gave up his rights as God. He ceased to be God. But the reality is, as Philippians teaches us, that he did not think it robbery to be counted equal with God. He did not give up any of his rights. He did not give up any of his privileges. He just ceased exerting them it's part of the voluntary humility of Jesus Christ in his humanity as he goes to the cross and he pays for the sin debt of his people oftentimes we like to just jump and cut to the chase and say I just want to know why I just wanted I yes that's why he is but do you realize that this first begotten principle cannot be ignored when we're speaking about the exaltation of who Christ is. The first begotten is not just there as a word filler. It's not just there that we say, and by bringing in the first begotten into the world, this is the result, that because he's the first begotten into the world, let all the angels of God worship him. He who is made a little lower than the angels, because he has this firstborn status as the son of God, let all the angels of God worship him there are some really creepy things that go on in the name of religion. And one of those creepy things is the worship of angels. And this worship of angels is, is, is it's quite remarkable to where we go wrong in our theology that leads us to a place where we lift up and exalt angels as creatures to be worshiped. When you see angels in Scripture, the angels are not being worshipped, but rather they are worshiping God. We are not exalting angels. In the same manner that we don't exalt Mary to a state of a place of worship. Now, Mary, we're told, was highly favored of God. Don't go to the other direction and say Mary's no Mary's of no significance. You're making a grand mistake when you just kind of blow Mary off and say, Mary means nothing. We know that the Catholics have it wrong by venerating Mary and putting her on a pedestal and giving her actually a preeminent spot. In the Catholic Church, she is almost, if not, nudged a little bit higher than Christ. Your Bible does not say, unless you've got a very faulty version, and again... He brought her into the world to be exalted. And we brought him the first begotten. Let all the angels of God worship him. Yeah, we actually are naive enough to believe that there is still male and female. Yeah, we're just we're just that naive, aren't we? We are are failing to get on the the train that's running down the track and we're the the narrow-minded ones that are running head-on into the train that's rolling down the track. No, we're standing on biblical authority and we're saying He made them male and He made them female. And in this, He clearly says, let the angels of God worship Him. Doesn't say let the angels of God worship they. Or some other pronoun. Pronoun. It's not what's being said. Worship Him. Clearly, this is Christ. He's the firstborn. The first begotten. The angels are all commanded to worship Him. He is exalted far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Ephesians 1.21. This is not a minor subject. There are things in Scripture and in process and in tradition that we could differ on. We could have a church just like ours who does things a bit differently. You know that's actually okay. It's fine that all churches don't look exactly the same and do things exactly the same. What we do as our church doesn't make us exactly right and say this is the only way worship should look. We've talked about why we worship the way that we do, why we make such an emphasis on Scripture, why we have such an emphasis on making sure that it doesn't become about pointing to a single person and exalting anything or anyone else other than Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. But another church like ours could do it differently. But the problem would only come in the person or persons or thing or object in which they are exalting. If you are exalting something or someone over the preeminent one, who Ephesians 1 tells us, he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Think about that. Every name that is named, he is higher than. Then we would have a problem, wouldn't we? This exaltation is not just an exaltation in this world but it's also an exaltation for the world to come, Ephesians 1.21. So in Hebrews, when God says he has brought the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. There cannot be proper theology that does not emphasize a worship and an exaltation of Christ. If your worship excludes Christ as the preeminent one, it becomes false worship. If we begin to exalt a speaker, if we begin to exalt a person, if we begin to exalt a denomination, if we begin to exalt anything above he who has the preeminence, then we find ourselves in quite a dilemma because we're we're going against biblical scriptural authority. It's interesting that the very opening portions of this book, that the angels are given such a prevalent place of us to connect the dots. Oftentimes when you study through Scripture, you don't see as much as you would think about the angels, but they certainly are there. But the purpose of the angels was not for them to be exalted, but that they would exalt Jesus in their worship. Remember, angels are created beings. It, it pains me to have to say this, and I hopefully I'm saying this just as a redundancy, but we do not become angels when we die. People do not become angels when they cease to live. Uh, their loved one did not go to heaven and they're awaiting their wings. They're not being sent back to earn their wings. They're not being sent back to try to accomplish something, to earn a right to be there. The angels are created beings, they've already been created, and God in His sovereignty and His providence created those angels. He even created those angels that fell. He created them with the full knowledge that by their own free will, they would fall from those places, and they would make up what we know as even those false angels and those wicked angels, and Satan, of course, being one of those. Satan was all about the exaltation of himself all about the reality of i want to have the preeminent spot that that mentality is very much alive in our human nature today i want to be exalted i want to have people worshiping me we may not come out and say it we may not say i expect them to worship me but if we truly desire christ to be exalted He is exalted whether we exalt Him or not. Because God the Father has said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And He has been given a name that is above every name. And all power and authority has been given to Him. So we can simply say today, when God the Father brings His Son into the world, He gives a simple yet powerful command. Let all the angels of God worship Him. Now what's what's an interesting study, and I would encourage you to do this, we'll look at a couple of these verses today. In many of the scriptures, we find the angels of God attending to Jesus Christ in His humanity. So when He was incarnate, we find the angels of God tending to Him. Let me show you just a couple of these. Look at Luke chapter 2. Verses 9 through 14. Luke 2, verses 9 through 14. And these angels, remember, are attending to him uh, in his humanity. And the very first one where we are given is the announcement of the birth, the incarnation of Christ. Luke 2, verses 9 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, take note, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. One of the sad things is, is people in their intent of trying to give the right meaning to Christmas read Luke 2 and don't really think about what they're actually reading. They say, well, we want to make this feel more like Christmas that puts Christ, and I get it. But do you realize what these angels were doing? These angels in the incarnate Jesus Christ were announcing to them, praising God, and the whole heavenly host was praising God. Folks, this is the part that I think would have been, (laughs) if we could could have been in that moment, okay? If we could have been in that moment, hearing the angels and the multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Can you imagine? We read about it and sometimes I don't think we put ourselves in the moment enough and think what would it have been like to hear the angels of God announcing, see him, praise him. Do you know how unnatural, humanly speaking, that is? For the angels, the heavenly host, crying out, praise And glorify that baby there? Yet the angels from the very moment of his incarnation were attending to him and were pointing man to his exaltation. We also see in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 13. Mark 1, 13. And of course, this is the we'll read in verse 9 down through verse 13. This is one of the gospel accounts of the temptation of Jesus. Verse 9 of Mark 1, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And make note of this. This is an important Distinction, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. How did Jesus end up in the wilderness? The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, notice this last phrase, and the angels ministered unto him. Have you ever wondered what that ministry of those angels looked like? Because here's what we think. What did Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, what could He possibly need? (laughs) Don't lose sight of the humanity of Christ. These angels, which Hebrews says, all ye angels of God worship Him. They They were pointing people to worship Him in His incarnation. They were ministering to Him at His temptation. Let's go back to Luke and go to Luke 24. It's hard to not expound on these texts more, but time's not going to allow that today. But Luke 24, 1 through 5, this is a familiar account. The resurrection of Christ. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Wonder who these two men might have been. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must... Notice that, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. These angels were certainly ministering. They were certainly pointing men and women to glorify God, to see him exalted. And then the final one I'll have you look at today is Acts 1, verses 9 through 11 this is one of those passages that just makes you long for when this day comes this is the account of jesus ascension into heaven after the resurrection after he'd been seen by many witnesses says in verse 9 of acts 1 and when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight another one of those moments wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see this And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? I've got this next three words circled. This same Jesus. That does matter, folks. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. From that moment until the very moment in which we are now seated, that's what we're looking for, the same Jesus. Not a different one, not a modernized version, not a watered down version, not one that fits man's fancies and fits what man wants God to be, the same Jesus who God the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, who has been exalted, From the very time of his incarnation and even before that, the same Jesus is going to come back in like manner. You take these passages together and you look at the role that these angels are playing in the exaltation of Christ. And think about this for a moment. When you see the appearance of angels throughout Scripture, what do you think their main responsibility is? To exalt Christ, to worship him. It is not even about us. It's not about us. It's about his exaltation. What do angels minister about? Well, notice back in verse number 7 of Hebrews 1, another passage that often, sometimes people are not sure how to take it. And there are some very good men uh, who doctrinally are sound, theologically sound, who don't all see this exactly the same way. And I'm not dogmatic about this to say that these, one of these men, and this one's right and this one's totally wrong. But I do see it says, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his messengers a flame of fire. Now here the angels are being described as spirits and as a flame of fire. Throughout scripture, spirits often is signified or illustrated By wind or winds. So there are some who understand this passage as teaching us that the Lord makes His messengers like the wind or like a flaming fire. The apostle, the writer of this book, he's not teaching us about the nature of wind and the nature of lightning, but he's teaching us something about the nature of angels. The best interpretation seems to be that the angels, when sent by the Lord to perform his will, they often do so in the form of winds and fire. So you study scripture and you see where the angels are. And many, many times when they're sent to perform the Lord's will, they show up in the form of winds and of fire. Elijah was taken up into heaven. Does tell us there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. The narrative goes on to say Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. It seems to be a work performed by the ministry of angels. The chariot and the horses of fire appear to have been angels. We also read about Elisha. Elisha surrounded at one time by the Syrian army. Mountain was full of horses of fire round about the prophet. But then there is the indication that these were persons because Elisha says to his servant, fear not for there be more with us than with them. But here's what we do know about the angels. We may not fully understand their nature. We may not fully understand all that this text means, but it does present the angels in a subservient position. That's what I want us to understand. Angels are in a humble situation. They're marked by their humility. The angels serve their maker with whatever means he determines. A question I often get is, could God do something like that? Now, the obvious answer to that question, when someone says, could God do something like that, often is, well, of course, God can do anything he wants. He can use whatever means he wants. His sovereignty and his providential hand are not limited. But he cannot act contrary to his character. He cannot act contrary to his nature. So people often say, "Uh, there's no limits with God. Well, the limit with God is he can't act and be something that he's not. Right? Now, I know we're splitting hairs here. Yeah, that's technical. He can't do that. So he can't act contrary. So one thing he can't do is he cannot exalt angels above his son. So you're never going to see the angels in a position of authority and Jesus Christ being subservient, except in that one case when it says Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. That doesn't mean that he ceased to be God, and it doesn't mean that he was no longer an authority. What did Jesus do in his humility? He was made a little lower than the angels. He took on that robe of human flesh without ever ceasing to be God, but yet he's 100% man, 100% God. So what does this teach us about the angels? It teaches us that these angels are meant to be in a humble position. Folks, I'll tell you right off, there are things in Scripture I don't fully understand. There are still mysteries of God that if you tried to pin me down and debate me, you might beat me. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things you'll beat me at. There's things I have not come to a full, complete understanding. And I'll tell you right off, one of the holes in my deep, right, deep recess theology is really a full, complete knowledge of angels. Now, if you've reached that, praise the Lord for you. And if you can educate me, I, I believe I have a teachable spirit. I would love to have you give me your full insight scripturally on everything about the angels and what their entire role is. But the only conclusion I've been able to come to is that Jesus Christ is the one that the angels are to worship. And every time in scripture, when you see someone try to bow down and worship someone other than God, other than Christ, they are told, do not worship me. So I do know this, I know enough to be dangerous with this, that the angels are in a humble, subservient position that is clearly and distinctly under Jesus Christ. So what does that go back to our illustration of people who worship angels? Should angels be worshipped? Not according to scripture they shouldn't. And most of your depictions of angels are usually wrong anyway. I understand that the fascination with angels, and if you've ever, if you go into the quote unquote Christian bookstore, wherever that one might be, and again, there are some very non-Christian things in that bookstore. Um, most Christian bookstores, you could run down three or four of those aisles and pull off every one of the books on that shelf and put them in a burn pile because it's, they're the farthest thing from sound theology. I've I've often wondered, I wish somebody would start an actual theologically accurate bookstore somewhere where actually I could walk in there and I could say, look, this is sound doctrine here. I don't don't need a whole section. And, And most Christian bookstores have a whole section on angels and it has nothing to do with scriptural angel. It's actually the worship of angels. People have written entire books on how we ought to worship the angels. But you don't walk into most Christian bookstores... And you don't see a section on the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And how the angels are supposed to be worshiping him. Well, why are they supposed to do that? Because he's the first begotten in the world. And God said, because of that, all the angels of God worship him. But notice he says the angels of God. Principalities and powers, the darkness. There are angels that are not of God. When John in the, those three epistles talks about try every spirit. Do you think that was just a rhetorical statement? Try every spirit and see if it be of God. Just because you're seated in a church somewhere doesn't mean that what you're hearing is of God. It doesn't mean that it's based of even loosely upon God. Yet it happens that people forget the position of these angels. God's Word tells us these created angels, they are created. They're ministers of God. They're not there to do their own bidding. The angel doesn't come to you and take you over the bidding of God. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? Angels don't even act on their own. And if you've been around long enough, there have been some Hollywood depictions of is that what an angel really does? It seems like these angels have their own counsel and they're all talking together and saying, I think we're going to go visit that person and I think we're going to give that person another chance. That person died at an unusually early age, so we're going to go back to the earth and we're going to show ourselves to them, but they're not going to know we're an angel. We're just a, we're a human, but we're going to give them another chance at life. These angels don't do their own bidding. They don't have their own will to accomplish to where they're going to do anything, they are subservient. To be humble isn't just a state of mind, they attend his presence. In other words, what these angels are doing, they do his bidding, they attend his presence, and they're ready to do as he commands. Now there may be called flames of fire, maybe that refers to their power. They may be called flames of fire because they are quick. Some theologians recent and in generations past have said that they're called ministers of flame of fire because they have a burning love and zeal for God. Some have said that they're ministers of fire or flame of fire because they execute God's wrath. As I said, if you have a full understanding of all these things, I'd love to sit and have coffee with you. I'd love for you to inform me of all. Set me straight. But I would encourage you, don't ignore the angels in your theological study, which I've given you a I've been guilty of that. To where it doesn't seem to be that important. But if the very opening verses of Hebrews, it's not there just by coincidence... Within the first seven verses, God declares all the angels of God are to worship him. I think it's pretty important. This is why we can't burn through Hebrews. And like some will say, how could we be in Hebrews all these weeks? And we're still in the first seven verses of chapter one. Because folks, there is so much here. You can't just burn through it and say, let's get to chapter two. This exaltation is another one of those proofs of the dignity of Christ, why he's worthy of our worship. Oh yeah, we could just take the easy route and say, yeah, 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 he has the preeminence. But do you realize why he has the preeminence and what that means to have the preeminence? That chariot of fire that took away Elijah, here's all I'll tell you. It might have been angels. Angels. That may have been exactly what was happening. Those angels were doing the will of God. But they are never in a place where they are doing the commanding. I want to just introduce this and then we're going to conclude just because I want you to think, be thinking about this for next week. Verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The throne room of God, one of the greatest passages of scripture, that if you ever want to, if you ever want to just be reminded of the holiness and who God is, is to meditate on Isaiah 6. And you need to see the position of the angels. You need to see the response of Isaiah to being in the throne room of God. It'll tell us all we need to know about the position of man to God and the position of angels towards God. Here's Isaiah. (laughs) Isaiah 6 is a powerful portion of Scripture that leaves you simply saying, the throne of God. Next week, we'll deal with His righteousness. So quick way of application, and then we're we're done. So we know Christ is not a created angel. Sometimes in Scripture, He's compared to an angel. Sometimes in Scripture, He's called the angel of the covenant, but He is not a created angel. There are some, in some circles, who are attempting to do that and put Jesus Christ on the level of Satan (laughs) which would show up horribly wrong when they also teach that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he paid a ransom, and the ransom he paid was towards the devil. No such thing happened. If Jesus Christ would have paid a ransom to the devil, he was suggesting that he was on the same level as the devil at the very least. Jesus Christ did not pay the ransom to the devil. It was paid to satisfy the divine justice of a perfectly righteous holy God to the Father. Christ is higher than nature. He's higher in rank. He's higher in intellect. He's higher in power. He is nothing less than very God of the very God. We're not talking about splitting hairs here. We're talking about there is no comparison to where he's exalted to. But he's also, and don't miss this, he's the very man who suffered on the cross of Calvary. Again, think of the mystery here. How can one who is so highly exalted have suffered so greatly as a man on the cross of Calvary? That man on the cross was an exalted man. That exalted man It's the very person of Christ in which we adore and worship. When God said, all the angels of God, the first begotten, worship Him. We're given the same commandment to worship Him and Him alone. Let's pray together and then we'll conclude with a closing hymn. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for the Spirit leading and guiding us this morning through the Word. And Lord, we want to be very careful that we do not add or take away anything from the Scriptures. By my own admission today, Lord, there may be things that I am not fully settled on. But Lord, I pray that those things would not be a hindrance to your people, that it would just drive us to study more and more, to show ourselves approved. And Father, it would spur us in humility to learn more about you and more about your character and your nature and your purposes and your plan. The Lord, as we bring this time of worship to a close, we certainly acknowledge our exalted Savior. And for those of us that are Children of God, we realize there is no more precious truth than to know that Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary through his shed blood and his death, his burial and his resurrection, he accomplished our salvation. So that we could not boast in anything that we do. May we never be found worshiping and exalting anything or anyone else above he who you have commanded us to worship. Christ truly is the exalted Son. Father, I do pray for any that has yet to repent and believe the gospel. Father, may they run to you today. May they run to Christ. And may the power of the Spirit be in work in their life and convert their soul. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. Bless now as we bring it to a close. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.